0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites.
2: So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
0: Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary.
1: Welcome to the latest Forza Italian football podcast. I'm sure you guys viewing on YouTube will forgive me because it has been quite a weekend, quite a Sunday evening and quite an end to that Sunday evening with the Derby della Madanina. Um, I'm Connor Clancy, as always, your usual host. And I've I've got my two friends back with me this week. Kev, you've made it back from France just in time. Welcome.
2: I have Connor, thank you.
1: And also joining me is the returning Vito Doria. Vito, we missed you last week.
2: Yes,
0: um, yeah, I missed that on the pod last week, but I thought I'd do a bit of a Nick Carroll joining the live feed for a bit while I was away. It's great to be back, and especially after a great round of football.
1: Yeah, well, it was nice to see you pop up in the comments. Um, Sorry for dwelling too much on results that weren't exactly favourable for your team but uh, I, I think it was worth it last week guys actually kev i'm mm. just looking at you now and a tweet that dov Schiavone sent to myself and alistair Mackenzie has come to mind are you trying to fit in at fif by growing a, a beard
2: oh uh, yeah of course that's what it is it's not laziness at all uh all the wife being away
1: The truth always comes out, Kev. I'm sure she's an avid listener to the podcast, so she will know before she sees you next. Um, All right, before I get distracted again, the only place to start this week is obviously with the Milan derby, where the cliche was proven true. Form goes out the window. Milan came into this as the strong favourites. They were sitting third. They were the dominant team. Paqueta and Piontek were supposed to destroy Inter. But Inter destroyed Milan. Um, Vito, the narrator did it. 3-2, how? I thought the way they played
0: was uh, very good. And what I noticed in particular was that they would be rather quick in the ball movement and they were moving the ball directly as well. I don't think they gave Milan much space to create play and Milan looked rather sluggish, to be honest. Uh, Inter just... uh, went uh, for goal, you know, from the first whistle. And for the majority of the match, they really looked like the better side with better attacking intent. And I felt that they found each other much better than the Rossoneri did.
1: Yeah, well, there were, there were times during this where Inter weren't only playing their best football of the season, but arguably the best football that they've shown under Spalletti. They were really, really impressive. And... I know it finished 3-2, but Inter probably could have won by more. There was some controversy about the penalty decision, which Dov said in his post-match video, I completely agree, I don't really understand where the controversy was because there was a trip, penalty was given, so it stood. Vito, did you see any issues with this?
0: No, not at all. I think it's just exaggeration on some fans' part. Perhaps it's just the Rossoneri fans being a bit... Uh, disappointed that they conceded the penalty in the manner that they did, but uh, I thought Castillejo tripped and it was more than fair to give the
1: penalty. Um, Kev, Mara wasn't there, but you wouldn't have known it. Inter, Inter, didn't need him.
2: No, and I think maybe that's what you know, bought out that performance from them. You know, they've they've, they've been struggling of late, but uh, Martinez looks. <laughs> To be feeling a bit of a void up top, and you just wonder it was the it was the time for them to show that they can live without him. It really was because
1: it's been it's been such a circus there lately, and it's all the Kaidi's doing the reason that it is a circus. And one of the the many, many, many pre-match features we had go up was from Tom Probert, I think wrote this one, looking at a tale of two captains are in Inter's case their ex-captain and how the contrasting forms of Alessio Romagnoli and the the situation surrounding Icardi could have shaped this game it didn't and a, a large part of that is because of Lautaro Martinez veto and what what strikes me every time I see Lautaro is more than his ability as a player because he is lacking in some elements but he just seems so intelligent so clever and he's still just starting in european football but he looks like he could go a really long way
0: he looks like he has that all-round presence whereas icardi is more your traditional poacher Now, i thought uh, martinez is growing in confidence especially becoming a starter and he's not always going to be performing week in week out at this stage of his career to take the penalty like he did shows that he's got great confidence in himself. And just this overall play, I think it helps uh, Inter to be more fluid and there's more collective work as well. Whereas when Nicardi was around, uh,
1: the team was more or less built
0: around him and his finishing ability.
1: It, it might be too easy, Kev, to get carried away with this win because Inter's form lately hasn't been good. It, it is easy to forget that in light of such a, a good performance and with all the emotion that surrounds this particular fixture. But I don't know. There's just something about Inter without a card, isn't there? They're not limited to that number nine who scores goals and doesn't do too much else. I know his game has improved in recent seasons, but he is there to score goals. Letaro, as Vito pointed out, does a lot more.
2: No, I think what we've said in previous weeks about uh, interlacking many individuals that you'd maybe take in other top European sides. And Arcadi would be the one, or certainly one of the few, whereas without him, they're they're kind of starting to de- develop that sort of team, cohesive sort of unit. Um, just sort of chipping away at, 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 at learning to, to live without him.
1: Yeah, we did. um, Matthias Festino has been someone who kind of frustrates. For me, even not being an Inter fan, he's frustrating to watch because sometimes he looks very good, but more often than not, he's not very useful and he kind of gets in the way. And I thought it was quite funny after the game, he said that Inter's consistency or inconsistency isn't acceptable. That They need to find a solution to this problem. And I think a lot of that problem will be solved if he himself just found some consistency. What do you think it is about Vecino? It's because it's not even really just him, Kev, is it? It's a lot of those inter midfielders blow hot and cold so regularly. We've seen Joe Mario be an outcast to them being a star for three weeks to now being on the periphery again. Borja Valero hasn't done it. Um, Brozovic blows hot and cold. Gagliardini blows hot and cold too. So, is it systemic?
2: No, I think that's. I think that is the brunt of why they. Aren't good enough, or you know why other other top sides wouldn't take them? It's that inconsistency. The talent's there, but with a lot of players, you know the talent's there. And actually, what makes them top top level players is do, doing it consistently. You know, three out of four games, or you know, at that, that level, you can afford to have the one sort of off game. But uh, not so many players that sort of have that inconsistency. I think just hasn't hasn't helped into.
1: No, for sure. On, on the other hand, then. Let's go, let's go to Milan, the red half, I suppose. Bakayoko, right, we'll start with a positive because he, he was still quite good, Vito. They, they lost. He got his first goal in Serie A and he impressed.
0: Yeah, he's a good ball winner, a good passer. And I thought probably in the second half he was uh, better because Milan were attacking a bit more so he could uh, add a bit more to his game. And I was happy that he scored, actually, because... Uh, he has improved since joining the club, and uh, yeah, he, he pretty much had to carry the Milan midfield today because Paketa looked out of shape. Kessie wasn't at his best, and then uh, Souza, was, he was anonymous in that first half, and he wasn't that much better in the second.
2: Yeah, You have to be disappointed as a Milan fan, though, if Bakayoko's your, your best player in the derby.
1: I see what you mean, but that's also a bit harsh because.
2: Well, I think it highlights how little the rest of the team is doing attacking wise.
1: Yeah, attacking wise for sure, but derby games do tend to need players like this to kind of grab it by the scruff of the neck. I think he did his job, everyone else let him down. So Souza is one of those. Is anyone even surprised anymore that Souza fails to show up when it really matters? No it's no, it's beyond, so a she... now, isn't it? And there are still these Milan fans you see who defend him till the very, very end, but he is so frustrating. His biggest involvement in the first half was kicking the ball at Kessie, which led to, I think it was the opening goal. Right. And Kev, is there any sign that he can improve or is he always just going to be this player?
2: No, I think he's always going to be that player. Um, God, I must have wrote a piece on him a good couple of years ago just after he joined, just saying that that is why Liverpool got rid of him because he was there when Coutinho was there. They were similar age, similar types of players. That You could argue there's a slightly, slightly more quality on Coutinho's side, but he was doing it week after week after week. You would see flashes of brilliance from Suso, which we do see. Um, take the derby last year or maybe the year before, but it's just too inconsistent again
1: it's just, it's so annoying because he does have these moments where you think, okay, you clearly have ability. What's the problem? And there was that stat that I dragged up a couple of weeks ago about him being amazing in the first half of the season and then not in the second. And do you think it's the thing about stature? Are are Milan just a step above where he should be? If he was at a team who were expected to finish between 7th and 10th, would he be idolised or would he still be inconsistent
2: that's a difficult question regarding uh, you know is our Milan a, a step up from where he should be I would say Milan now aren't but if it was the Milan that were consistently challenging for you know Milan have this thing about the stature of the club isn't necessarily representative of how they performed in the last few years so he was exactly the type of player that Milan needed to go for when they signed him hmm. it's now if they're going to you know, you're going to get regular Champions League competition because you've got these four places for Italian sides. Now, maybe should Milan be shopping in a, you know, in a different market?
1: Yeah, well, when they signed them, they were that team right between sixth and tenth, <laughs> and now they are very much expecting to finish top four every season. So, I do think it is probably time to call it a day for him there. Uh, Vito, Pacata and Piontek were were bigged up as being the Inter slayers. In this derby, but you could be forgiven for forgetting they were even on the pitch.
0: Pacheta looked very lethargic, and he did not look as influential as he could have been. And then Piontek, in particular, he looked very closely marked, and he was pretty much shut down by Milan Skriniar. So it was only when Milan start, I mean, yeah, Milan started to attack towards the end of the game, where Piontek have had a sniff that goal, and then he had this great chance when he stuck out a leg and he, he side-footed the ball with the outside of his boot, and it would have been a wonder goal if it went in. Other than that, he just was denied space that he actually manages to
1: find. Yeah, is it is it, bad, is it harsh to criticise Pionpec, given that it is suzo's job to feed him and Sharanoglu's job to feed him, and he did have... The Vriyan Screenyar marking them quite closely. So should we be giving credit to those two and pointing the blame at Suzu and Chalonoglu or Absolutely? You think? you think?
0: Absolutely. Um players like Suzu and Chalkonoglu are holding Milan back from where where they should be. And also when you do compare them to what Milan had in the past, then of course those guys would not really make the grade. Skriniar and De Vrij, the top defenders in their own right. De Vrij probably has had some issues uh, adapting at Inter or he's not performing as consistently as he did at Lazio, but he can still defend. He's still a top defender. More than anything with Piontek, um, he is a striker first and foremost. He is one of those guys that can be in the right place at the right time, but at the end of the day, strikers, doesn't matter if they're mobile or not, they need the proper service and uh Suzo and Chalconoglu let Piontek down more than Piontek uh, had let himself down.
1: Kev, before we get onto the big juicy drama to emerge from this derby, a question has come in from Filippo Cacamo. Um he wants to know what does this win do for Spalletti's job security? Does it nullify the Europa League exit? Uh,
2: I was just gonna say you, you hope not. And I don't I don't mean that sort of anti spalletti it's just that this The season hasn't really been a roaring success for Inter. And I think if they're, if they're serious about challenging for a total, it doesn't look as though Spalletti is going to be able to get it out of this team. If you're going to make significant investment, would you give him that money? And there are some other high-profile options on the table. So I think um, his future will be up in the air or right up until the summer.
1: I do think people often make the mistake of, um, drastically changing their opinions on individuals based on one game, right? And I think derby wins can happen; they're exciting, but I, I don't think people should be getting excited about Spalletti as a result of that because the the sample size of Spalletti performances at Inter is big enough now to say we know what he does. And this this derby performance is probably the exception that proves the rule rather than being the rule itself, but. Let's get on to the juicy beef, shall we? Frank Kessie and Lucas Belia were were going at it on the bench. Guys, there was a just after Kessie came off for Andrea Conti, there was a, a camera shot that went to the bench and it showed Kessie fuming, being held back by four teammates. And let's be honest, it would take four to stop him. And it was unclear at first what or who his anger was being directed at. It became clear that it was Lucas Belia sitting in in front of him, uh, beside Diego Laxalt. And then halfway through it, Belia turned and said something else. Laxalt kind of told him off, and Mattia Caldara leaned over and had a go as well. So, has obviously said something pretty bad here. Uh, I know after the game, the official line is that Belia told Kessie to be, to be more professional, or to show some respect, because it was disrespectful to Conte and to his teammates. But then Gattuso came out and said that he would allow the two players to explain the situation and that if he had heard what Belia said, he would have intervened himself. So, is there, do you reckon there's something more to this, Kevin? Maybe the truth of what was said is going to come out in the next couple of days because if Belia just said, you need to show respect, I'm not so sure Kessie would have reacted quite as angrily as he did.
2: No, and um, we've also got to remember that... Uh... You know, things can get lost in translation um, when you know if, if that isn't your first language, whatever the language was spoken in. Um, I think, I think, mean, I think this the uh, the club's got to err on the side of caution, really, until they get you know in the in the heat of the moment. After you know, people will not always give the uh, the full story of what went on until they sit the two lads down together. So it, it's hard to comment at this stage, isn't it?
1: It is. But Vito, do you think this suggests that? I don't know. I I don't want to say it, but maybe all isn't quite well at Milan if the players are going to go to war like this on the bench in their biggest game of the season.
0: I'm sure that the emotions of the occasion probably got to the two players. So when there's so much drama, adrenaline, and there's a lot on the line, then perhaps uh, people, not just footballers, just get carried away with things. So... Until we know what the full dialogue was or the majority of it was, um, it's very hard to assess it. I'd like to think that it eventually be water under the bridge, but, yeah, sometimes it also reflects on the pitch and, uh, yeah, you don't want to lose at the derby. It's uh, probably the game that, out of all games, you do not want
1: to lose at all. It doesn't matter if you're playing the Milan derby or any other one. We've been asked in the, the, the live stream, why are you doing a live stream at 30 minutes past midnight? Well, two of us aren't. I'm doing a live stream at 30 minutes past 1 a.m. And Vito, what time is it where you are? 11.30 Monday morning. There you go. So the, the simple answer is we aren't. The more difficult answer is this is the easiest time to get us all together. And we're completely committed to the FIF pod obviously it's a
2: worldwide podcast
1: <laughs> it is a worldwide podcast i've just seen um our friends at milan weekly pod have just shared the podcast as i must listen with a link to the live recording so sorry for all of the disappointed me that are coming to us right now but i think i don't think we were too harsh on them were we no, no i think I we just had to tell it as it was i think so i think so um We'll end the Derby chat then with the first comment that came in, which was Milan is black and blue. Sorry, Ross and Harry fans, but this evening it, it well and truly is. Where should we go next? The, the big game that no one really cared about, I guess. Kev, <laughs> Genoa brought it into Juventus's unbeaten run. Their dreams of a second unbeaten season in recent years has come to an end. and No one really cares, do they?
2: they don't but also they really they, they they seem to have this habit of struggling against Genoa it's strange isn't it because yeah.
1: Dolph, Dolph was at the game for us um, hashtag FA up the games obviously and he he was saying in his post match video that this is the the first time Genoa have gone on beating in a season against Juve since and then it was just 2011-12 which is quite recent for yeah. one of Italy's smaller teams to one of the, the bigger teams Um it was it was big Goran Pandev and the the unwanted castaway Sturaro who got the goals. Who would have seen this coming?
2: Yeah, and I saw some uh, sort of a Juventus apologists saying about the Allegri uh, uh, changing the team around. Uh, but I thought when I when I actually looked at the team, I thought to myself, no, actually, other than Perrin, which is probably the sort of the, the one that stands out and probably the one that was in the the biggest spotlight because he was going back to Genoa. And obviously, he is in goal when the goals conceded. It was a pretty strong Juve side.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I don't understand it. People just look for any excuse to bash Allegri now. Because people have decided that they don't like him based on a couple of games throughout the last few years, style of football. And then it all came to a head when they were beaten 2-0 by Atletico on the first leg. And those people quite conveniently slipped away when Juve came back and won 3-0 in the second leg, and Allegri made some bold choices. But, Vito, is Allegri ever going to win over those people who hate him, or have they just completely made their minds up on him?
0: Well, I won't say that I hate Allegri, but I'm probably one of those critics myself. But I'm more or less just disappointed in him because he he played at Pescara in the 80s and 90s like Gasparini. Gasparini stuck up to his principles. And, okay, he hasn't got silverware, but, you know, he's got his own style, and I think he's evolving as a coach, and he's helping Italian football evolve. Uh, Allegri is one of those guys who's been at the right place at the right time, plays a traditional style of football, and I think he's getting carried by the individuals that are there. The great shame is Allegri can set up a team to play attractive football, he did that at Cagliari with a bunch of mediocre footballs. And now with a team of champions, I've personally just been underwhelmed by his record in Europe. People can say he made two finals, but other times I think he squandered it with his own cautious approach and sometimes with his uh, sometimes absurd tactical choices. If he can keep producing what he did in the second leg against Atletico Madrid and finally win a Champions League, I think... He can win people over, but he's got to understand that the game has evolved a lot and doing things in the old Italian way, you know, the fans first doing just enough to win games, it won't work in
2: Europe. What do you think, Kav? Very strong words from Vito. I I don't know. I think that first time that he had to reinvent Juve after they'd lost Pirlo Vidal and Pogba, I think he deserves credit for that. They potentially haven't haven't reinforced after losing the likes of experience that has gone out the door with Buffon and and Marquisio. Um, But I don't know. I think he just gets bashed because uh, Juve are so strong and people want to sort of do him down a little.
1: I guess it's natural, isn't it? If if Juve slip at all, there's – Italy's kind of split in two, there's Juventus fans and not Juventus fans, so everyone on the other side of that divide is just quick to to bash them. Once the people that are supposed to be on your side start going your way, it's quite difficult then as well, and I don't know, maybe it just seems more exaggerated because we we see these people on on Twitter, right, so there's these people from everywhere criticising Allegri when I'm not sure if if it's all that important at times that... There's a yeah. certain type of Juventus fan
2: hating him. The only thing you'd say is that it could, it, you know, his ability could be highlighted by the fact that the the Juventus side that he inherited, as more and more of that side leave the club, you know, the the they they don't perform as they as they used to. They're, oh, dare I say swashbuckling south. I don't
1: know. If you look at the. The Champions League final team he had from what was it 2015 when they lost to Barcelona, yeah. And the team now they're completely different sides, and he's kept them at that level.
2: Yeah, exactly, and that's what I think he deserves praise for, because it's you know it's one it's one being thing being financially strong and and walk into a league title, but you have to you have to keep that up. You need to freshen up even if ever so slightly to to keep that desire within the squad. Of uh, players that are sort of have won countless countless titles now.
1: It, however, whatever you feel about the, the abuse of them, um, you can't help but feel that his time there has just kind of come to its natural end, right? And this summer's there have probably been a couple of opportunities for him to walk away from the job. And however this season ends, if they win the Champions League, perfect for him to walk off into the sunset. And if they don't win the Champions League with Cristiano Ronaldo, maybe it's best for him to leave. So, I know it's hard to speculate. We're still a little early, but it does seem like this is a summer where a lot of the coaches could change in Serie A, from Spalletti to Allegri. And what happens next? Where do you they go? Do they go back to Conte, Vito, or is there someone else who can come in there?
0: If they don't win the Champions League, then I don't think Conte would be the best option. He was fantastic when he was at Juve first time around, and after two seventh-place finishes, I think he did a great job to rejuvenate the club, at least in the locker room and on the pitch. But his European record's not that impressive at all, so I've got some concerns about that. Then the other options in the market, well... There aren't many that are really appealing or what I would call your best standard coaches because they need a coach that can really make them a force in Europe, not to win more Scudetti.
1: Yeah, for sure. I I quite agree. Um, Kevin's in the comments from Trinidad. Wow. I didn't know people listened to us out there. Hello, Kevin. Welcome along. Um, All right. Let's move on from this because the derby ate into a lot of time. to Roma won. This was a lot of fun. Going to Ferrara is always fun because the people are quite mad, and this time the players actually delivered a performance and a result that the fans deserved without sounding too much like a
2: a cliche or a broken record. But
1: this was this was a very very good performance, and Kev, it's not good news for Roma.
2: No, it serves them right for wearing their away kit. <laughs> what what's your problem with this? That- Spell, spell, don't play in red. What's the problem with just wearing your kit? Anyway, no, I, I don't know. You know, we said uh, we said the other week about you know getting rid of De Francesca I Don't we? Don't think is the is the is the problem there? Um, I, I you know, when you just the look at the, well, you look at the performance, and, it, and again, it goes down to quality. But you just wonder if they've got the desire now to actually break into that top four you don't think you know, they've well, not necessarily desire but i don't i'm not I don't see any belief in the players when they go behind that they can turn these sort of things around and i think it goes deeper to them thinking that there is going to be no champions league football for them next season
1: it's this thing with roma isn't it that i'm not sure how important like fight and a willingness to kick people is but it's often been the problem with them the rossi aside, they don't have anyone who's
2: but look. Look at the last couple of years, they've never really had to, they've got into a position where they're in the Champions League places, but never had to really break in at the end of the season. So we've never seen if they can actually sort of dig in and do that.
1: Yeah, they've kind of just been there by default a lot of seasons, mm. more so than... A bit like Inter this year. Yeah, absolutely. A, a bit like Inter and Napoli <laughs> this year, I mm. guess. But what what struck me was, this seemed like a game where the coach should be going absolutely mental at them. and. Look, I think I nearly came close to bashing him last week, but I really love Claudio Ranieri, but he didn't do anything.
2: Claudio doesn't do mental.
1: He just stood there. He didn't move. I was watching him because the press box there is pretty much behind the away dugout. And Ranieri, I have a picture from before the game where he's standing in a spot with his arms folded. And I could have recorded a video from the same angle. Everything around him would have moved except for him. The only time he he moved from that spot was when he went down to the dressing room at halftime. The only thing that changed was he he put his hands into his pockets every once in a while. I just thought, if you're not going to shout at them, get your assistant to shout at them, because Spal were walking all over them. And if there's one thing that Spal consistently do, it's fight and it's run a lot and it's try really hard. And I know that's so simplistic and stupid to say almost, but it was so, so true. And Roma just didn't do anything. Spal's best players were uh, Manuel Lazzari, Mohamed Fares and Yasmin Kurtic. Why? Because they just ran the most and Roma didn't bother running after them most of the time. Lazzari in particular, we know his quality. He's not in the Italy squad, which... Maybe this performance came a week too late, but he could probably offer something there, Vito, and this is a, a big win for spell.
0: No, absolutely. They they won three 0 in the initial picture in the first half of the season in Rome, and that was surprising enough. And then to do it again uh
1: in the second half of the season is still pretty impressive. Well I have a question for you, Vito. Do you you know the last time Spal beat Roma twice in a Serie A season? I'm going to take a wild guess. Would it be the 1950s? Oh, you've gone too far back. You should have read my match report, mate. It was 1965, 1966, which is quite a long time ago. Mm. Quite a long time ago. But they fully deserved it. They really did. And Kev, Andrea Patania, he did it again. I don't know how he got the penalty to be honest, because Patania shouldn't be getting knocked
2: over like that. But when no, it looked it, a little harsh. To be fair, it was almost just a bit of a coming together. But yeah, you know, maybe uh, maybe he should have stayed at Atlanta. They needed some goals.
1: <laughs> uh, well, Big Duvan still has more goals than him this season, so don't get too carried away. But I think what happened there was the the Roma penalty seemed quite soft too. Yeah, and the referee kind of gave it, and then there was. Such a long VAR review, a silent VAR review, which always seems to happen in Ferrara, and they hate VAR there because they seem like they think think it's against them. Because I actually see what they mean; they do seem to be quite harshly done by. it, But maybe it's just they're quite a physical team, I guess. Right, so mm. more of their decisions tend to go to VAR and whatever. But
2: the penalty if- they gave away um, Saturday was was stupid. More than you know a. a- an over-excitable challenge. Like, Do you
1: think it was even a foul?
2: Well, I think mean, there's no need to put your arm across the player running away from him. He's got, Jekyll's got away from him. So you're, you're, he's almost making a half-hearted attempt to sort of nudge him or maybe knock him off balance without being spotted. And, you know, and, and Jekyll's going to play on that. I think any top-level attacker is going to play on that. And get it, even with, even with Varno.
1: Yeah, can we speak about Dzeko? Because he wasn't very good. His biggest contribution in the first half was falling over when there was absolutely nowhere, nobody close to him. And nobody seemed to know what happened, including the spell player that was closest. He seemed a bit shocked.
2: And it still annoys me that he's capped him.
1: Why is... I, is it just you know? He 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 had had that, more he had that. Than everyone that else?
2: Horrific, he had that horrific show of dissent towards the referee in the Coppa Italia tie. He then had that awful headbutt, if we can even call it that, from Pepe. And when you're talking about Roma, maybe showing the the desire or the belief that they can come from behind and get this, you know, it, it's not exactly the uh, the icon that you want.
1: No, I, I agree. I was going to throw over the Vito, but he's 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 left us. I don't know where he's gone. But he is? no, <laughs> he's back. Vito Eden Jacko is Cavs questioning is captain credentials which i would agree with questioning but even just as a as striker he was good in the champions league in the first half of the season but he's been underperforming for quite a while there
0: when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online
1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: Yes, I think it's probably a reflection of just Roma in general that I think just the way they play, that really play with the same agency as they would have last season and um Jekko in general, I think you know, you've got to consider that he's going to be at 33 this year, so he's probably going to be starting to lose a bit of his edge. And also, if you give him the right service, he can do something. But otherwise, um, I don't think uh, he's also the ideal captain either, and he would have only got that because of his age and what experience he can bring. I do agree that perhaps, yeah, he's not really a good guy, to say that he can't be trusted would be harsh, but I don't think he is dependable. So as a leader, or even as a striker now, I can't expect him to hit 20 goals a season like he used to
1: in the past. Well, from underperforming oldies to overperforming youngies, Nicolas Agnolo, he came off the bench and within five minutes he won. He helped win his team a penalty. And every time he got the ball, I don't know what, there's just something about the way he moves with the ball. He just glides. I'm not comparing him to this player, but the way he dribbles is quite messy. He is he's just so good to watch, and you could see that Spal were quite terrified of him. And he injected a little bit of life into Roma. And Vito, if we're going to speak about Zaniolo from a from an Italy perspective, how important do you think he should be?
0: I believe that Roberto Mancini's got a integrate him the national team. But it also depends on the formation too. Mancini uses the 4-3-3 formation. So I think if he uses that, I would use him either in place of a, of Barella or if Verratti, let's say, if he's not fit or he just wants to be rested, you could play Zaniolo there. But I think depending if later down the track Italy has good enough strikers, Zaniolo is probably the... Ideal Trefatista for the 4 3 1 2 formation just to play behind the strikers and provide that link between the midfield and the attack.
1: Okay, I was going to talk about Patrick Schick as well because he was quite good except for his final product, but we don't really have too much time to be honest. Lazio 4, Parma 1. This was. Probably the most straightforward of the games to be played this weekend. It was four nil half time. Lazio were incredible, and Kev Luis Alberto delivered for them.
2: Yeah, he did. He's been quiet in recent weeks. Um, well, alongside uh, milinkovic Savage, but he, he took his goal. Well, he nearly nearly got a hat trick towards the end. He whistled one just wide. I, you know, I, I saw the highlights of this, but I don't know if you saw any more of the game. Were Lazio that good and palmer that bad in equal measure? Because they seem to make a, a lot of mistakes to let, to let Lazio in.
1: Well, I think I know who you're referring to.
2: Right oh, well, yeah, the goalkeeper was particularly um, poor. <laughs> um,
1: thank you. Because usually when Luigi Giuseppe does things badly, it's me that has to raise it. But this is this is him, innit? He he pulls off incredible saves. I still think he's one of the better shot stoppers, but in terms of whatever goes on through his head just during a game, I, I don't really know because he does some inexplicable things that if a twelve year old goalkeeper did, you would question. I, he's just he's quite bizarre. I don't really understand him. But Vito, were you all that impressed by Lazio's overall performance?
0: I do believe that Lazio deserve credit for the performance. And uh, I thought there was some there was some good build-up play for the goals and uh, some well-taken shots as well. So uh, Parma themselves, they didn't really have many chances to score. So to say that it was a case of Seppe playing badly, I think it uh, would do a little bit of disservice to uh, Bianco Celesti. That being said, I reckon the first two goals, Should have been stopped better because the Marisic strike went between his legs, and that penalty—that's probably the one that really stuns me. Usually, if a player goes down the middle, uh, usually it'd be easy to stop. But for some, he dives over it. Yeah, it just went right under him. It's unbelievable.
1: There was quite a nice picture I saw of the moment that passes underneath him, and you can just see his face because he knows what's happening, and it's, Mm. it's quite nicely captured. But sorry, Lazio, this is probably not a good week to go short on you guys. But we kind of need to. But but quickly, 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 they are six points off the Champions League now. Gav, do the do you think they can do it?
2: I think there's going to be a couple of factors. I think they can leapfrog Roma. You know, those two, those two look like they're crossing over. Lazio seem to be coming into some form and actually showing that 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 uh, that belief that they can they can do it. Like we were saying, Roma didn't have. It depends how the um, The Milan derby now affects Milan, Mm. I think. Um, I can honestly say I'm not sure who's got who after the international break, but uh, they need some time to regroup, I think, and just make sure that uh, they're aware of just how close Lazio are behind them.
1: Yeah, I was actually quite surprised when I looked at the table to see that Lazio hadn't already overtaken Roma. I just assumed that. With the recent derby and what happened this weekend, that that was it. They were ahead of them there. But it does kind of show how much of a little dip they they suffered this season. They've lost eight games, which is actually quite a lot, to be fair. But let's move on. Sorry, Lazio fans. Vito, you're about to be very, very happy. Sassuolo and Sampdoria played out a stunning 5-3, which Samp came out on top of. And there were eight different goal scorers. But we're going to focus on one of them. Because I tweeted when this guy scored. I said, guys, forget about the derby. Let's do a Fabio Quagliarella pod special. So this is his little window. Vito, sing about how much you love Fabio Quagliarella.
0: Oh, it's unbelievable. Uh, Quagliarella, he's got... uh... 21 goals for the season. So he's already bettering his personal best of uh, 19 from last season. And it's the first time in his senior career that he's scored over 20 goals for a campaign. So I'm very impressed with that. Seven assists. So he also he's had some contribution with the assists and he's only two assists off Dries Mertens for the campaign. So that's really good. That being said, you know, I think we're just running out of superlatives to describe him because he's 36 years old and he's he is in the form of his life. Lots of players would be declining, but not him. And uh, he's been picked for the Italian national team for the up-and-coming uh, international break, but um, some people just look at the number and think, oh, he's too old, we've got to look at the kids. I do believe that Mancini's got to integrate most of the youth, but there aren't many good experienced guys there, aside from Bonucci and Chiellini. I think Cuellar might be able to do something for the national team because the Azzurri are short on quality finishing at the moment.
1: But Italy do actually play here in Parma. I think it's on Tuesday against Exxon's time. And I wasn't going to go, but he might play. So I'm considering going just to see him play for Italy, which... I love seeing him play, and he's he's 36, and he just looks so, so good. Kev, we were supposed to speak about him last week, but we didn't, and my reason was we've spoken about him a lot. And then he goes this week and scores again and assists. So he's now scored and assisted more than he has in any other season in his career. He's 36 years old
2: yeah and i don't think we're going to get that output out of him next year i've said it before but i i kind of disagree with with uh, vito over the inclusion in the italian national side if this was a if this was a season where you've got a, a world cup or european championships at the end of it i could see why you take him to a tournament on this form you cannot uh, sort of discount him as being part of the squad even a starter but you know, a moment ago we were talking about Zaniolo being the future of the Italian national side and sort of bedding him in. We can't have one and well, you know, do you have one or the other. I, I can I can even see the, the from the aspect of the experience he'd give the strikers, but there aren't many really really young strikers in the squad, are there? I suppose uh, more
0: Zucanes in
2: that team. Yeah, I suppose you do get that experience all round as well. But you know, I just, I just, I just wouldn't take him again. You know, like you say, it's, it's Lichtenstein.
1: But it, is it, it just? Is he just being played to to acknowledge his good form? It, it is who it is that they're against. Give him a game, and then.
2: But is that him. what international football is? That is that what competitive football should be?
1: Is it competitive football when you're playing? Lichtenstein? Well, mm-hmm. when well, it is technically. Yeah, technically, but yeah. everyone qualifies for the. European Championship. So, is it? It's an easy cap. <laughs> I think he deserves it, though. It's more than just a gesture. The guy's Serie A's top goal scorer. So, no,
2: his form, form does warrant inclusion, but Italy, Italy are coming off the back of not qualifying for a World Cup. Yeah. So they, they, not- they have to be looking to the future.
1: But they didn't qualify for a World Cup where they gave opportunities to the likes of, I don't know, like Balotti and Immobile and stuff. And it's not like there are other strikers who are bad. That's the main goals. problem.
2: <clears throat> Mario.
1: What do we do? Get, yeah, well, look, we, we both know where we all stand on that. Mario Balotelli should be at least number nine, but he probably won't be. So what do they do? People were talking about getting Jovinko back not too long ago which don't even get me started on Sebastian Javinko because I'd go off on one. But Qualiarella deserves it. and I, I, I get what you're saying, right? Because surely Italy do need to be planning ahead for the Euros. But is the priority now not just making sure they win games now?
2: Yeah, well, yeah. But, and this is also the other problem with this expanded Euros that was expanded, I think, at the last competition. I think 2016 was when they... <laughs> That you've got like a one in two chance to to qualify. Mm. I think mean, there's now fifty three, fifty four UEFA nations, and there's twenty four qualifying places. It's like you know, if you, you know, if a if a country with Italy's um, history and uh, you know the, the quality of the national league can't qualify under those conditions, then you know, then they may as well pack up and go on.
1: Well, Locky S comes in the comments to say everyone qualifies for the European Championship. My country has never qualified for anything. Um, Daniel Flego says Quagliarella is too old for the national team. I agree and hate you, Daniel. And everyone else is saying that. Yeah, I don't know, it's just those two guys again saying that they need to think about the future. But you said something about you don't think he can replicate this form again next season, Kev. But we said this last year. And he's outdone
2: himself again. This, so, this is his best ever return.
1: Yeah, and last season was his best ever return before this. So next okay. year he's going to score 30
2: goals. <laughs> I, I, I can't see it. I really can't see it. Okay, right. It'd be great if he does because it'll be before a European Championships and then he'll go as Italy's number nine.
1: Well, he might have to go anywhere because there's going to be games all over the place. So he might just get to play in Rome. That Would be fantastic. Um, okay, where to next? Napoli beat Udinese 4-2. But given Napoli don't really care about Serie A, we don't care about speaking about them this week. Um, Carlo Ancelotti did say though that um, Serie A is good because it keeps us motivated for the Europa League. So Serie A is basically training for Napoli for the next couple of months, which is
2: which is nice. I might not go to any other. Well, it wasn't food nice though,
1: no, it, well, it was for. 15 minutes when they came from 2-0 down to being 2-2 but let's go to the bottom Cagliari beat Fiorentina in the weekend's first game this was a huge result at the time um, because it looked like it it was a big step towards safety but then kind of everyone won down there so it wasn't as big as at first seemed. but let's speak about Fiorentina Kev, there are problems there and they don't look like they can just be scratched away by Pioli reshuffling things.
2: No, I, I saw some fairly staunch Fiorentina followers on Twitter actually finally saying that uh, Pioli's um, time is probably up and there's, there's been this, uh, this hangover from the uh, story tragedy that I think has given him a little bit more time. And when I actually sort of watched the game on Friday night, I sort of saw how poorly they were defending him and I I wondered whether they're missing, you know, the effect of a story's absence, tragic absence, is where the problem lies. I I was hoping to get back in time to actually run some of the numbers as to what they conceded since he since he, he passed. Um because they just they just look very very flaky at the back.
1: Do you mean as is on bridge.
2: Like, yeah, they just seem to have a, a bit of a soft, a soft centre in defence. And it's whether his organisational um, skills and things are just missing. And they, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't remember anybody coming in to really rectify that in the summer.
1: No, well, Vitor Hugo took his place, right? Because he scored the first goal after mm. the death and he had the number 31, which was obviously 13 reversed. And it was quite... Poignant like that, but I, I don't think they did sign anyone. But whenever I've seen Fiorentina, the, the problem hasn't been that. I've always thought defensively they look quite good with Lafont behind the, the defensive pairing. And for me it's in midfield that their issues are. And it's kind of terrifying how reliant they are on someone like Jordan Verritu because he's not a world beater, but Vito, he is he's so key for them.
0: He has been a key player for them, and he's not exactly world-class, but he is a good contributor for them. And compared to the other midfielders around, I think they make him look uh, a lot better than what he really is. Uh, I've said on quite a few editions of the podcast that the midfield has been the weak link, and uh, I reckon for next season, regardless if it's with Pioli or not, that is the part of the pitch that needs restructuring the most because, aside from uh, his goals, Marco Benassi does not do enough. Uh, he isn't really a good enough ball winner in the midfield, and uh, okay, Vertu he has his moments and he can create something. But they need someone who's gonna be more more inventive or just possess more technique because I do believe they've got a good enough forward line, especially with the good Lewis Muriel had until the last couple of weeks. And Chies is one of the brightest young talents in Italian world football. And Simeone might not be having a good season, but he has shown that he's got the work ethic and he can contribute with a few goals. So I think with them, they just need to be better supplied.
1: Well, yeah, well, look, Veritu didn't play. Benassi, oh, don't get me started on Benassi and what he's doing at Fiorentina. I, I really, really don't know. But look, let's move on quickly. Um, Torino, surprisingly lost and even more surprisingly conceded three times against Bologna. Kev, Bologna are now just one point off. The off safety down there. Empoli and Udinese have slipped down at the sixteenth and seventeenth, both on twenty five points. Bologna on twenty four. Do you expect one of those two teams to fall into the bottom three soon?
2: Well, I, I I had I really felt for Bologna this weekend because Mihailovic said he was going to get him out before the international break, and then I saw the rest of the I sort of kind of saw the connotations of all the other results. You know, Empoli beat Frosinone, which was kind of expected. But Cagliari turned over Fiorentina, and you thought it really wasn't helpful for Bologna's cause this weekend. So it was crucial they got that win against Torino.
1: Yeah, well, Empoli are, we're always going to beat Frosinone, I guess, right? But is it Udinese? Are they the team? Because there's always one team, right? That kind of just slips and slips, and you don't really notice them. And then, oh my God, they are in big trouble.
2: I think, they, uh, yeah, well, oh, they're the ov- plus. are the obvious candidates of how the games went this weekend. The one thing I'll say about them is they they always look like they can score a goal that might scrape them a draw or or a win. Um, whereas Empley before the last couple of weeks looked like they were the ones that were going to sort of start plummeting. Mm.
1: You do look at it and Spal Spal are a better team than their position says. I think, uh, but then. They could easily be 11th or something, it's swap places with Parma, and I don't think many people would really notice that much. But Bologna are... I don't know what Bologna are. Under Mihailovic, they're better than 18th, I think. right? They've won their last two games now, and I think Udinese and Empoli need to really, really start watching out. And Sassuolo are sitting there, and I'm looking at them. They're in 13th place. At the moment, they are what eight points off the drop, but they they've been terrible since about September. They're two points ahead of Cagliari. and then there's a bit of a gap between them and Spa, but you, you wouldn't be too surprised, maybe for them not to get relegated, but for them to be involved in the conversation before the end of the season.:
2: Yeah, I, I think it's just a shame that there's only well shame that there's only one place to play for. I think if it, if it hadn't been for those really, you know, Fosnone and Chievo being so, so poor, we we could have arguably a more exciting relegation battle than we're going to have for the Champions League places. I think
1: it's going to be quite interesting, whatever happens. Um, S asked us to do a preview for the Italy game, like during the week, and then deleted the comments, so he's obviously changed his mind. We must have said something to annoy him. But, sorry, Anyway, where shall we go? What's left? Oh, that's kind of it. Atalanta couldn't beat Chievo, which Atalanta just decided to put on a display of their early season selves, dominate the game, but not really be able to break through. Sorrentino made a couple of decent saves, but nothing too extreme. And This is just one of those results that Atalanta are always likely to, I was going to say pull off, but um, always likely to succumb to because if they could just take care of these teams like they should like they should have against Cagliari like they should have when they were 2-0 up against Empoli then they would be 5th place knocking on the top 4 but they're 7th level on points with Lazio and also 6 points off the Champions League and you do think the Coppa Italia is probably their best way into Europe because they're just too
2: likely to drop points that's you conceding that their Champions League hopes are over
1: I'm not I'm not conceding they're over I think it's very very unlikely for them to overturn six points and for the three teams between them to fall beneath them but I still think it's possible it is possible it will be possible possible. until the last game of the season it's (laughs) not ruled out Vito uh, or Vino, I don't know why I blamed you for that I'm sorry and then like you said, <laughs> Dev, Empoli did beat Frozen on 8-2-1 and that's that we've done it mm-hmm. congratulations so we're um, we will have audio coming from Dovskiovanni at the San Siro where he he was there in the actual stadium at the actual game
2: the big I, 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 I saw him rush through his uh his thirty second Instagram roundup. And if anybody is on Instagram, go and find it because it's hilarious. Him <laughs> trying to him trying to squeeze in five goal five five goal scorers. I just uh he just tickled me this afternoon. Well this evening.
1: Um yeah. I
0: be distracted by a cat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um for anyone that hasn't listened to Dolph on the podcast this season, they won't get that. But um, I kind of thought that too, Vito, you know, to be honest. But what was I going to say? Yeah, do head over to Forza Italian Football on Instagram and watch not only Dav's video, but my video and Alistair's video and Vieri's previous videos from the stadiums where we just wrap things up nicely and quickly. Um, I managed to say Ferrara twice in my video this week, which was, which was particularly pleasing when you're trying to Squeeze as much as possible in, and you double up on the city you're standing in. But it was it was fantastic. But um, the Dove thing, right? There were five goals today, and I remember when we started doing these quick roundup videos. The first game it happened for was it was me at the Artemio Frankie for Fiorentina three Sampdoria three, and that was mad that game. And I had like said, "We'll do them in under thirty seconds." Blah blah. blah. And then that game happened, and I think my video went down for about 45 seconds, and the boss was like, you need to cut that down under 30 seconds. And then when I saw his video published, I was like, right, I'm, I'm timing this. And you could just see him. He, he obviously had the, the goal scorers written down because his eyes kept glancing over, but he did well. He nearly tripped himself up a couple of times, but he got through a credit to the big man, who is still actually at San Siro, I believe, wrapping things up at 10 past 2 in the morning <laughs> or he's in the bar <laughs> no the bar is closer to his house so if he made it that far he would have just gone home and I need to speak to him on Skype after we finish this so he better not be in the bar it's going to be a late one guys so I'm probably not going to be till 5-ish which is fantastic but Kev thank you for joining us fresh off the boat
2: My pleasure.
1: Um, Vito thank you for joining us
0: he's no glad to be back.
1: And as I've said, head over to Forza Italian Football on Instagram. On Twitter, we're at Serie FFC, and then we're back to normal on Facebook at Forza Italian Football, where we have all the games covered. We'll have the Italian games covered in some capacity. Dov's coming down to Parma to join me. He's going to the Tardini. I think I might be going too. We don't know. Um, so yeah, head over to the website, Italianfootball.com we won't be doing a podcast next week, guys. We get a bit of bit of a break. So, to all of our lovely listeners, Inter fans will be happy with the outro music, and that's it. We'll speak to you all in two weeks. So, this is the last time you will hear my voice. You'll be happy to hear for fourteen days. So, chat
2: for
0: now.
1: Sarà una partita infinita.
2: Il sogno che ho è un coro che sale a
1: sognare se giù
0: Continuerò, il sole, nel vento, la mia festa, per sempre vivrò, per sempre vivrò, con questi colori nella testa, nero
1: azzurri, io vi seguirò, nero zurri, sempre li vivrò, nero azzurri, questa
0: mia speranza è l'essenza, non vivo sempre sa
1: Un che parte da, da questa canzone, canzone. Set two weeks in a row there two weeks in a row even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus